probably should upgrade. It was actually probably okay that when you were like, oh, 10.30, I was like, well, you know what? I'll still go up around like, you know, 10.15 or something and just get the process started. Uh-huh. I always just wait. <laughs> like, Why do I do that? I don't know. I can like, you know, get yeah, everything yeah. started up, go through the startup process, send the invite and everything, and then just be ready. Instead of like, all right, I will push power on my computer at 10.30. Or maybe not even that. I will power down my computer at 10.30 and then push power to start yeah, back yeah. up. <laughs> See, it doesn't I have to here, be that way. <laughs> uh, I was up here probably um, quarter after as well. But I was working on the new season logo. Ooh, are we going Scottastic with the checkerboard? We're going uh we're going checkerboard, baby. Yeah. Um, I we... got an email from Zencaster uh that on I think starting on the ninth, they're like, you can find you can well, I say finally, they've only been in this beta thing for like a week or two, but they're like, you'll be able to choose whether you want to do audio and video or just audio. I was like, Yes, why wasn't that a feature Good. on day one? Makes no sense. <laughs> Well, I mean, it it is the beta. Uh, I can I can definitely appreciate yeah. them like shooting for for more features and then yeah. rolling with the feedback. Um, or at least like getting everybody but... like no matter what, we'll make everybody test video. You know, even if they don't want yeah, to, exactly. they're going to be a part of the test. Exactly. Yeah. But like, I, I I don't know if you have an additional webcam, but I do not. Um, so no, so the webcam either. I have is is built in to my laptop. Yeah, that's and, what I got. Oh boy. It, it looks bad. <laughs> I think my, I mean, mine bad. can't look great. I don't even, I don't know if it's HD or what. I don't know. It, it, it works for Zoom. That's the only time I use it. Yeah. Yeah. My, <laughs> my webcam worked for like the first version of Skype. Um, <laughs> but like it, whenever I threw it on uh, within the last couple of months when we were on Discord, uh, with a couple of friends, I'm like everyone else has got like either their phones or everything. It, it looks good. I throw mine on. Mine's not even in HD. Mine was in three four, <laughs> like not even 720p. I'm like, oh, this looks bad. This looks really bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like um... everyone else is like a full rectangle. I am in a box. I am in a square box. We we I did like a Zoom thing with some friends over I don't know close to Christmas and um yeah like everyone's audio was like just the default like webcam audio and I actually plugged in my microphone and they were all like your audio sounds like amazing I was like oh yeah figured why not use my studio mic you know <laughs> leave it to leave it to the radio guy. Yeah, camera was just integrated that, is, Dell webcam. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> Microphone was whatever, this. All right, should we get started? Yeah, let's do it. Let's see if we can uh, beat the clock at, uh, before 30 minutes passes by. We will see. Uh, welcome to No Hugging, No Learning. It's a show about one thing, watching Seinfeld for the first time. I'm Tim Murphy. And I'm Ted Hollowell. And today we will be talking about Season 8, Episode 2, The Soulmate. But before that... What is the deal with stuff from our last episode, the season eight premiere, the finale? Um, the first thing I wrote down was pretty much the first shot of the entire episode, and that was Susan's tombstone, which we found out her middle name was Biddle. And I was like, <laughs> what kind of middle name is Biddle? And I couldn't find out. But all I found out is it's a surname of mostly old English origin, and that's pretty much it. So I don't know why her middle name was Biddle. I wish I did. It's another Seinfeld mystery. Okay. 
Yeah. Now, at least I have something to ask Jerry or Larry if I ever meet them. You know, you're always going to freeze up. You're like, oh, God, what do I say? Like, I'm a big fan. He doesn't want to hear that. But I'll go up and say, hey, why was Susan's middle name Biddle? What is that? What's the deal with that? Uh, uh, A wizard did it. <laughs> Wizard did it. No, I'm sure Jerry Seinfeld would go. the The minute Jerry Seinfeld encamp- encounters an actual real big fan, he just go, eh, "Fuck you!" And walks off. I'm sure that's exactly <laughs> what happens. I get that vibe. <laughs> I can definitely see that happening. He, yeah, yeah, He doesn't seem like the guy who wants <laughs> to partake in any type of fan service. No, 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 not even any, he doesn't want to take part in any pleasantries, it seems like, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I think if anyone, like, went up and, because it's not even a critique, I'm just like, I just want to know. I'm not like, oh, Biddle was a dumb name, like, but I'm sure that if anyone, like, questions anything about his absolutely perfect show, he would, um, you know, just completely, that, you know, first of all, I'm a fan, and that's one tick mark against me. Secondly, <laughs> I am, uh, you know, I'm, I'm asking something about him. What if, uh, what if I say it and, and I just say like, yeah, I've seen the show a couple of times. I don't know if I'm a fan or not. Why the fuck is Susan's middle name Biddle? <laughs> I would be interested, interested to uh, see which honestly, approach you would like he'd, better. He'd probably appreciate me for that. He'd probably be like, you know what? I like you. Yeah, yeah. People who don't like kisses. <laughs> ass. If, if, I, I, I have, I have the balls to, to say, yeah, <laughs> your show's okay. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I get it. I mean, I, yeah, it's funny. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I get where you're coming from. Yeah, it's a lot of that, uh, did you ever notice this? Did you ever notice that kind of stuff? <laughs> like George talking to him in the uh, diner about his comedy. Yeah, a lot of guys are doing that. A lot of sitcoms are like Seinfeld, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see the appeal. <laughs> Tell him, like, yeah, yeah, Seinfeld's okay, but have you ever seen Community? <laughs> Or make it even worse. Like, have you ever seen Big Bang Theory? Oh my gosh! Did you oh know the? Oh my god! Did you know the math on the boards is real? Like, they hire somebody to make real math equations in the background, and that makes it funnier. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> that you should check out. You should. Have you ever met Chuck Lorre? <laughs> now I want to do that. Now I have something totally new to do to Jerry Seinfeld when I meet him. Oh my gosh, have you ever met Chuck Lorre? <laughs> Just ask it. Like, try and get to the point where you're getting Chuck Lorre's <laughs> number from Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, that's who I'd really like to meet. Do you, do you think you could ma- help me meet him? And like, you know, I mean, I know you had like one really good show, but he had like seven shows and they're all hits. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's the way I'm going to go now. <laughs> uh, finally got that plan. Um, so the second thing we wanted to know was Jerry asked Elaine if she learned anything in Mexico that she couldn't learn by just opening a bag of Doritos and watching Viva Zapata. And Viva Zapata is a, which by the way, it's got a, it's got punctuation. I always, I always kind of like punctuation in movie titles. I don't know why, but Viva Zapata has an exclamation point at the end. Uh, and it is a 1952 biographical film directed by Elia Kazan and starring Marlon Brando. So if I'm not mistaken... They have, um, all right, the screenplay was written by John Steinbeck uh, based on a book about uh, Zapata, and the cast includes uh, Gene Peters and, in an Academy Award-winning performance, Anthony Quinn. The film is a fictionalized account of the life of Mexican revolutionary Emiliano Zapata from his peasant upbringing through his rise to power in the early 1900s to his death. So, yes, Marlon Brando was playing a Mexican revolutionary. (laughs) Oh boy! And that was movie casting in the fifties. I mean, it's still pretty hey, much today. You can't even really say it was. 
<laughs> yeah, I can't even... Well, today, thankfully, it's a little better. But, like, even at the beginning of last decade, they had yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal playing Prince of Persia, a Middle Eastern character. That's right. They had Matt Damon playing a character in The Great Wall. <laughs> but he is supposed to be whitey, right? Isn't he? Or not? Is he supposed to be Chinese? I have, that... I have no idea. I <laughs> we... had no intention of watching that movie. It looks but, so um, bad. I don't I don't think they made her I know there was like Emma Stone playing that supposedly Asian character in that movie in Hawaii, and then Scarlett Johansson played a character that was supposed to be um Asian in Ghost in the Shell. Is that what it's called? Or Ghost in the Machine? What's that movie? Anyway, I know a lot of people Ghost were, were upset shell. about that. Right. Yeah, Ghost in the Shell, yeah. But um but I don't think they actually made the character you know, I I don't I think they just changed the character from Japanese to um uh, american or whatever um but i could be wrong about that but yeah i know it's it's still a point of contention among <laughs> but at least there's you know like you said there's been progress a little bit in the past year maybe <laughs> but M- yeah maybe so. I- i'm i'm sure i'm sure a lot of people will probably go back on that progress it, it's a <laughs> it's a cycle as soon as we can yeah uh, Jay Peterman calls Elaine from a phone in Burma, and he says, Oh, I know you call it Myanmar, but it'll always be Burma to me. Uh, first of all, where is it? I guessed it was an island nation off the coast of South America. I couldn't have been further off. Uh, it is a country in <laughs> Southeast Asia, bordered by Bangladesh, uh... India, and China to the north, Laos and Thailand to the east and southeast, and the Bay of Bengal uh, to the south. Uh, so, yes, it's an Asian nation. And for generations, the country was called Burma after the dominant Burman ethnic group. But in 1989, one year after the ruling junta brutally suppressed a pro-democracy uprising, military leaders suddenly changed its name to Myanmar. And by then, Burma was kind of an international pariah, they say, desperate for any way to improve its image. And then they said it was dis- they said they were discarding the name Burma handed down from its colonial past, and to foster ethnic unity, Myanmar was more inclusive. And now the, the old name excluded the country's many ethnic minorities. At home, though, nothing changed. So in Burmese language, Myanmar is just a more formal version of Burma, apparently. The country's huh. name has only changed okay. in, in English. Uh, and much of the world showed defiance of the junta by refusing to use the new name Myanmar, I guess. And as repression eased and international opposition to the military became less vocal, Myanmar became increasingly common. The U.S. government still officially uses Burma, but even Washington has mellowed its stance. In 2012, during a visit to the country, then-President Barack Obama used Burma and Myanmar. And uh, But after the recent coup, the Biden administration made a point to call it Burma. So the ongoing coup that uh, we were, that actually was happening as we were talking last week about it... Um, <laughs> You know, the, we've, we've sort of gone back, you know... The gone... the ongoing coup that hopefully we did not speak into existence. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they, they made a point to call it Burma and not Myanmar. So it's sort of like, um, I don't know, like if one of your friends wants to... You know, if, if you have a friend uh, named Chris and he, like, wants you to start calling him Christopher and that's it, you're like, oh, mm-hmm. God, can you believe we have to start calling him... You know, just to piss him off, you would call him Chris every now and then. I think that's what's going on here. That's the best way I'd explain it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, oh, I'm not going to call him Christopher every time. But so when you want to like, oh, hey, hey, Chris. Uh, like, oh, guys, come on. Um, so it was really, <laughs> I guess, 89 when it, it really changed names. Uh, Wick uh, is played by Bruce Davison. I wanted to know this guy because I definitely recognized him from X-Men. 
the first time around. And Bruce Davison is well known for his starring role as Willard Styles in the cult horror film Willard. Have you ever seen that? Mm, no. No, I've never even heard of it. It's about a guy who is friends with a bunch of rats, and then I think he I think they like start doing his bidding and start like killing the people who are you know, he's like kind of an outcast and they start killing the people who are mean to Willard. They remade it with Crispin Glover, uh like probably ten years ago or or more at this point. Um hmm. Yeah, so he was in that and his Academy Award nominated and Golden Globe winning performance in Longtime Companion, which was the first wide release theatrical film to deal with the subject of AIDS in nineteen eighty nine. Uh, so this guy was a Golden Globe winner by the time he was on Seinfeld. I had no idea. Uh, let's see. He was also, uh, like I said, Senator Robert Kelly in the X-Men film fran- franchise in X-Men and X2. Did you ever you, did you ever see those? You know, the ones with Patrick Stewart and Wolverine and everybody? Uh, no, mm. no. I, I was never, for some reason, never drawn to X-Men whenever I was younger. Oh. Uh, I, I've seen like a few clips of some of the movies uh, in recent years. Um, I, I think Grace and I might go back and watch them because she watched them whenever she was younger, um, just to kind of, I don't know, ca- get that background on them in, in case they do get absolved into the MCU. Mm-hmm. Um, although, I, well, I will not give any, uh, WandaVision spoilers oh. if you do not want them. I do not want them. One of, the, one of these days, I finally okay. finished The Mandalorian, I, and I tweeted, I was like, ah, I finally finished The Mandalorian just in time for all the WandaVision spoilers. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. WandaVision is now done uh, yeah. if you want to uh, binge it. I will. I will. And, and I saw that just like The Mandalorian, because you know what's great? Like, an hour is such a daunting number, but if something is 42 minutes, I got, t- I got 42 minutes. I don't have 60 you know, it's like it makes such a huge oh, difference. Yeah. And I think the first episode is like 38 or something. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be great. I'm going to tear through this. Of WandaVision or of Mandalorian? Both. Both were like that. Like there were some episodes oh, of Mandalorian yeah. that were like 33, 34 minutes or something. I was like, this is great. Oh, yeah. Thank well, you. You'll see like you'll see because it's a Marvel series that on WandaVision, some of the episodes are like 38 to like 43 minutes um, that includes seven minutes of credits because they also include all the credits for all of the uh, foreign language dubs. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, and you have to you have to wait through all that. Uh, are there post credit sequences on any or all of the episodes? There are on some of them. There uh. are post credit scenes uh, on the episodes that take place in modern times. Aha! Yeah, I almost. Mm-hmm. I almost there's one at the on the last episode of Mandalorian and and if I hadn't been in shock from what I just witnessed I totally would have missed it because I just let the credits play and I was like oh my gosh and then all of a sudden another thing started up I was like oh, I totally would have totally would have missed this so that's why when <laughs> you said Marvel I, remember. I don't even know it, if I uh, remember that what was it has it? To, it it has to do with Boba Fett it's sort of a teaser for the Boba Fett show uh maybe I saw that I don't remember now I'll have to go back uh, and check it out yeah definitely yeah. Um, it was it was pretty cool. Uh, let's see more about. Okay, this, so that's all the homework that we had. But we had uh, here's some trivia and tidbits and stuff about the episode. The episode's Kramer story was inspired by a college friend of uh, Alec Berg and Jeff Schaefer. Their friend would often brag about how he was advancing in the karate ranks, but they later learned he was in a class otherwise consisting of young children. So it literally <laughs> happened, which I can't believe. God damn it! I know. <laughs> And, oh, you know what? Believe it or not, that's pretty much it. That's all the trivia and tidbits and stuff. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, Do we get any news or anything? 
No, but you know, I do want to do a couple shout outs since we worked our way through that pretty quickly today. Um, I want to shout out first to a Twitter buddy at Seinfeld Law. You've probably seen some of the stuff that they've tweeted since I started following them. There, it's a look at the I legal have, world. Yeah. yeah. A look at the legal world through the lens of Seinfeld. For instance, one of the things that we picked up on and railed against the employment laws George broke when he told overly qualified candidates he wouldn't hire them as his secretary because of their appearance. So they actually look at the case law that a real lawyer prosecuting something like that would look at. And they sort of, you know, and so they sort of look at, you know, the, the legal aspects of, of Seinfeld. And in fact, what was the one that I I tweeted one at them? Oh, yeah. Remember, I was like uh, this this case was um, mentioned in a Maryland court document or something. And I'm like, oh, we'll look into that. And I, I actually didn't follow up to see if they found anything. About why? Do you remember that? I was like, they actually talked about this in Maryland versus whatever, but I don't. Now I don't even remember what the episode mm. was. But oh, uh, yeah, man, I don't. But yeah, so it. it, it that seems, sounds really cool, though. Yeah, I know, and it, it seems like very. You know, they might make it easier for people like us to understand the law by, you know, talking about it through the lens of a of a sitcom. <laughs> uh, and the other per- people I want to shout out, I probably should have done this a million seasons ago, but maps about nothing, which is a website that tracks pretty much any location that's even <laughs> mentioned or that they're at in Seinfeld. Like, for instance, in, for instance, in this episode, Maps About Nothing, um, they list Chili and they list, uh, I forget the other, the other one. When, when Jerry's talking about the mollusks, he, he mentions two countries and they actually say, Jerry mentions this country, here's where it is. But more importantly, when, when, my, oh, Google, wow. when my Google foo, when there's no address, when my Street View smarts fail me, the, the website's collected mostly everything you'd want to know about Every location that they, like I said, mention or are at in Seinfeld. Now, I did use them this episode. That's why I was like, you know, I should probably thank them because I don't use them every time. Uh, most of the time I do the work on my own, but every so often they'll pop up and I'm like, there we go. Now we know. So that's it. <laughs> this is this is one thing I, I love about like the Seinfeld fandom is that there's just different lenses like looking at the show through millions of different yeah. lenses like 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 Seinfeld law we're going to watch a show and focus on the legal aspects of it <laughs> or or maps about nothing we're going to watch a show and focus on the specific geographic location of the places they're at it's yeah. it's interesting to me or the podcast that just talks about the secondary characters in every single episode yeah yeah oh my gosh um, what are, what was that? Uh, but I don't want to be a secondary character. Yeah, I believe that's right. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. Well, I guess I should also give some shout outs. Uh, probably first off to, uh, one of our former coworkers, Alan Carpenter, who listens to podcasts while he's shaving his head <laughs> and hopefully he didn't accidentally cut himself out of rage whenever neither of us could identify where Burma or Myanmar was. Oh no. Um, <laughs> Mr. Southeast Asia. Oh my gosh, I forgot. <laughs> right? Did he, um, did he also, uh, contact you about that? No, he didn't. Oh, okay. um, but but as as we're recording this, that episode has not come out yet. Oh so, yeah. <laughs> That's so right. I'm I'm expecting to uh, get a text <laughs> sometime this week about that. Uh, but also, um, our, our podcast came up. Uh, in like my uh, group of friends as we were uh, playing some games on Discord last night. Uh, so shout out to anybody listening to this for the first time. Uh, tell your friends about this. Uh, seriously, we want to see how many uh, how many people we can get listening to this um, dumb little show about one thing. Um, mm. 
So it, it's it's all appreciated. Tell your friends. Uh, give us a nice review. I'll get into that whole spiel in a second. Um, do you have anything else before I move on? No. All right. If you have never listened to us before, we are not a research-heavy show, despite the last, let's see, hey, 20 minutes. Okay. A slim, trim, 20-minute <laughs> intro. Despite the last 20 minutes being uh, solely... Uh, research. We like to have our questions come up in the run of the show and assign them to ourselves the week following as though we are giving ourselves homework. If we miss anything, if we egregiously skip over anything, please send us an email, send us a tweet at nohugging on Twitter or nohuggingnolearningshow at gmail.com. Both of those links are in the description or on the show description page on Apple Podcasts. And how about this one? I don't think I've said this one for a couple of months now. I've never seen these episodes before, ever. Tim has never seen these episodes before in chronological order after being a lifelong fan for years. Um, If you do like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts or wherever accepts ratings and written reviews. I think Amazon Music might. Um, But either way, if you do, uh, give us a DM or just... Slide into my DMs or Tim's on Instagram or Twitter, wherever. Uh, give us your mailing address, and we will send you an awesome holographic, no-hugging, no-learning sticker, free of charge. I finally got all the ones backed up that sent out that I have been meaning to send out. Uh, hopefully, the post office is not super delayed in delivering to Ireland. Uh, <laughs> shout out to Shredneck on that. But uh, I, I think that's all I got. So, Season 8, Episode 22, The Soulmate. Original air date, September 26th, 1996. I was three years, nine months, and six days old. And if you're counting this episode and every other episode we've got left, Tim, we've got 43 episodes left until we become a... I don't know. What do we become this week? Oh, how about a um, a podcast that looks at, you know... Uh, What's what's the word I'm looking for? Inappropriate casting in the golden age of Hollywood. <laughs> Ooh, oh god! I'm, I I think we would be able to have millions of episodes. <laughs> yes, I think so. But we we might start our, our with po- Viva Zapata. the The other one I'd recommend is um, uh, Mickey Rooney in uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's, another famous one where he does a caricature of oh, an boy. Asian man. <laughs> yeah. Oh no! Oh no! We we could have an entire season on like just people pretending to be like Native Americans. Yeah, but and how great would it be oh, my for God. just like we could go for years? And how great is it that it's hosted by like two waspy guys? I think that's perfect. I mean, oh. that, that almost like makes oh, it. No. That adds another level of irony. <laughs> Instantly canceled. <laughs> Yeah. All right. If, if you're looking at TV Guy the night of September 26th, you are going to see George suspects the foundation attorney believes he murdered Susan. Hmm. Yeah. All right. We'll see what we can do with it at the end. Uh, we <laughs> start with no stand up as usual, and we open in a taxi with Jerry and George rolling by the exact same B roll that Joey's mom was rolling by in the last episode. Did you notice that? Oh my god, was it really? <laughs> it's it's so much the same. Even the station wagon goes by. Even Joey's mom's station wagon goes by. And of course some taxis do too and it's like but it's the exact same B-roll. Like nothing changed. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh now my that's Lord. that's just laziness. It's not the same as using the same B-roll in the in the season 1 and and season finale of season 7 with people on the dock like i think that was on purpose and funny this was like just that's the only b-roll we got of taxis going Using by them in consecutive episodes <laughs> yeah, come yeah. on 
<laughs> yeah. And Jerry and George are having a conversation about biting your nails versus clipping your nails, whether you'd be allowed to have a nail clipper in prison. They both find prison fascinating. And then George goes, maybe someday. Does that mean George wants to see what prison's like? That's what I took from this. So, like, George <sighs> has a goal of going to prison? Yeah, I mean, that, like, I find, like, prison, yes, it's fascinating. I find it fascinating the same way as cults are fascinating. I don't want to join one, but I don't <laughs> mind learning about them and the, the culture, you know? <laughs> yeah, you know what I really think is fascinating? Speed. That doesn't mean <laughs> yeah. I want to try it. Exactly, yeah. So I found that really weird that he was like, maybe, maybe someday, like, maybe someday you'll <laughs> get to experience prison where you were just talking about how whether nail clippers can be used as a weapon or not. <laughs> but this taxi conversation, this taxi ride was definitely just a replacement for stand-up. I mean, this is just a funny conversation that doesn't have to do with the rest of the episode at all. It could have been stand-up, and I think it was just written by the writers, and, and it's like a cold open, like an office cold open that had nothing to do with the rest of the episode, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah, I, so I, I found it really, I was like, well, this is basically stand-up. I don't know if I would have preferred this or stand-up, though. Yeah, I do kind of like this better than stand-up because it, it does at least flow into the, you know, the show. It, it takes place in the universe of the show as opposed to Jerry's red room somewhere, <laughs> wherever, you know, that is outside of time and space. <laughs> his his Twin Peaks red room, which <laughs> yeah. I finally get that reference. Uh, <laughs> I haven't seen that we, in so we, long. We, fin- when... we finally started watching Twin Peaks for the first time. Yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to start that up. I don't know if uh, Sarah would be into it, though. It might be kind of too weird for her. It's pretty weird. <laughs> yeah, but I was I was jealous of you when you started, especially because I I meant to do that when they started the revival, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna catch up on all the old ones and then watch the new one, and then I didn't. Uh, so we open at the foundation. We do get an exterior of this townhouse now. We didn't get that last episode, but it is super nice. Uh, oh my this, god! Yeah, yeah, the, uh, and it's actually in Brooklyn. It's not in Manhattan, as we're kind of led to believe. I feel like it is actually at, and I think this is. Um, because I didn't see any address or anything. I, I definitely used maps about nothing for this. It is at 115 Remsen Street in Brooklyn, and it is 5,728 square feet. Ooh. Yeah. Baby. I can't imagine what you do with a house that size. Like, that's way more. Like, I think <laughs> this is the biggest house we've ever lived in, and it's way more than double our, our square footage. Yeah. Well, how, how much square footage do you have? Are you at 2,000? <laughs> Yeah, somewhere around there. It's it's like 21-something, okay. maybe. Yeah, I, I forget the exact number. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, imagine doubling that space in New York. Oh, yeah, pretty awesome. In, in 2019, <laughs> Zillow says this was assessed for $5.7 million, and it's in, it's in Brooklyn. So you put it in Manhattan, you can maybe add 10 to that. I was going to say, that seems cheap. Yeah, I think because it's in an outlying lying borough, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> mo- most likely. And so your mortgage payment every month would only be about $25,000. Only. That's okay. <laughs> that's, that's if you can put down uh, half a million dollars for, for down payment, like a, a 10% down payment or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Almost $600,000 down. And then you can get your mortgage payment down to 25000 a month. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, if, what if you walk into the broker and you're like, okay, I don't want to put any money down. I just want to roll it all into my monthly mortgage, escrow yeah. my taxes. What's my monthly payment? Oh my gosh! Yeah, uh, rates are pretty low right now. It might be, uh, might be okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Wick is asking George to pick out a poem about Susan for the literature about the foundation. And <laughs> George, uh, you know, obviously doesn't want to do it. But then Wick asks him if he, you know, if he reads any poetry. And George kind of makes up a name. I like, like, Lavin. <laughs> He's like, who? <laughs> Lavin? <laughs> He was like, well, I think you're the person to, to for this job because you were the person closest to her at the time of her <clears throat> accident. And he sort of clears his throat <laughs> before saying accident. And George gets a weird look on his face, which he's explaining at Monk's in the next scene, where he says that means he doubts the way Susan died. And he thinks George killed Susan, as he, he's explaining to Jerry. And we get Jerry here saying, oh, help me, Rhonda. <laughs> Are you familiar? No, I am not. It's a, it's a Beach Boys song. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so a pretty old reference. It's probably from the early 60s, I would guess. But yeah, I know. It, and it's it's not an exclamatory thing. Anyone say, oh, help me, Rhonda. <laughs> okay, I, I, I had no clue. I'm like, well, this doesn't surprise me. Yeah, sounds like a complete non sequitur. It's a, it's a good song, but not a cultural reference that anybody should be making in 1996, <laughs> even. Uh, we do find out Jerry is meeting Pam. She works in a bookstore, and he's not gaga about her. Just once he wants to be gaga, he says. And uh, Elaine's not there with them because she's having three friends over with kids, uh, you know, three of her uh, friends that are moms over. And as they're walking out the door at Monk's, Jerry kind of turns to George and is like, you know, just for the record. And George is like, No! implying that no i didn't that, that was great yeah that was hilarious just for the record no and he looks around to see if anybody at monks was like okay watching him yeah, yeah. <laughs> and over at elaine's uh the three friends are talking mom stuff with elaine telling her that oh you ought to have a baby the hamptons woman is there elaine oh my god yeah the the fucking long island accent is <laughs> like nails on a chalkboard i'm sorry if we've got people <laughs> listening in Long Island, but oh my god, May- maybe it's just baby. this woman's <laughs> act of doing a Long Island accent, you know? Yeah, I think she's supposed to be ultra annoying, but it 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 and it is <laughs> mission accomplished. Uh, and so they're all talking about their kids and stuff, and Elaine starts trying to tell a story about this white fish that she got at Barney Greengrass the other day, but she's immediately interrupted because. When you are especially a new mom, nothing, you know, you have to be super annoying about how life-changing that is. Um, <laughs> and I say this as someone with kids. Like, it's annoying that you can't talk about anything else, you know? Uh, because, yeah, she's immediately interrupted saying, Elaine, move to Long Island and have a baby. <laughs> uh, and at that point, Hampton's mom pulls out a pic of her baby and judging by Elaine's reaction, the kid is just as ugly as uh, the kid was whenever that was a couple seasons oh, ago. Oh, <laughs> that's right. I forgot yeah. the kid was ugly. I was wondering why Elaine was dry heaving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'd almost forgotten, too. I'm glad they included that little bit about – because she's like, she's like, oh, you haven't, been, you haven't seen him? Oh, he's grown so much. Let me get a picture. And Elaine's like, no, 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 I don't want it. And she pulls it out. And, yeah, Elaine, like, starts dry heaving. Yeah, pretty hilarious. I did look up Barney Greengrass because I was like, what is that? It, it, is, it is real. Uh, Barney Greengrass, the Sturgeon King, it says on their uh, logo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
It's a Jewish deli and restaurant that was established in 1908. It is still there. Uh, and wow. yeah, and the sturgeon sandwich. It must be pretty good because the sturgeon sandwich is 22.50. Dang! Oh my yeah. god. Yeah, it is uh, on Amsterdam Avenue in the Upper West Side. And the okay. whitefish okay. sandwich that Elaine... I don't know if Elaine got the whitefish sandwich, but I did see the whitefish sandwich is $18. And here's what Google says about it. It is known for smoked fish and not taking credit cards, which I think is a hilarious thing to say about a restaurant. <laughs> like, oh, have you been to that uh, pizza place? Oh, what are they known for? Not taking credit cards. Wait, what? That? What about the food? Oh, um, I don't know. Pizza? It's okay. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. They're mostly well, known what, for the cash-only ca- thing. <laughs> What kind of toppings do they have? I don't know. Pepperoni? Sausage? <laughs> yeah. The the main selling point is they don't take credit cards. But that's a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, well, it's what they're known for. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, at this point, like, if you're not taking credit cards, like, it's just, it's not even cute anymore. You know, it used to be like, oh, this place is so, like, old school, and it, that make, that's a cool point to it. Like, no. Now it's just, now it's just annoying. Yeah. Like, I can tell you how many times I've carried cash over the last five years. And it's it's very, very few times. I yeah. mostly just have my card. Sometimes I just rely on Venmo, you know, because mm-hmm. I won't even have my card with me. Yeah. And those places always have an ATM with like a $10 surcharge as well. It's like, we know you're racket. Oh, we know yeah. why you're not. Yeah. It's not even folksy anymore. It's just annoying. Like, oh, look at this mom and pop place that, no, everybody can buy a square or whatever you need, and, like, food trucks take credit cards. Just do it. It's not cute. Yeah, last time uh, we were in a a bigger city was Chicago, and we would go into a bunch of places that they just said, like, hey, yeah, if you you don't have cash, we accept Venmo. I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. That's awesome. Yeah, the future is now. So get with it, Barney Greengrass, I mean. (laughs) Uh, Jerry and George are out on the street. Jerry tells George to try the Jerry Lewis trick. Apparently, Jerry Lewis, whenever he left a meeting, would leave his briefcase behind with a running tape recorder in it, come back five minutes later, and see what they said about him. Which is a pretty genius idea. It's, uh, as George said, it's very paranoid, but I love it. And, and I do, too. <laughs> would, you be inter- would you like to try that? I don't know. I don't know if I would like hearing what people have to say <laughs> about me. <laughs> I'm sure I wouldn't, but the information would be... So it's just invaluable. I guess, yeah. You're, <laughs> you're, you're not wrong on that. There might be some bitter pills to swallow, but, um, you know, that's on <laughs> them. Now I've got the information. Uh, that, that plan really did appeal to me, but I, I don't, you know, you'd have to start carrying a briefcase, first of all. <laughs> Maybe you can do it with, true. like, your, your phone and the voice memo app and your jacket or something. I don't know. There's probably a modern way to do it. Up in Jerry's apartment, Pam comes in to find Jerry, but Jerry's not there yet. She finds Kramer, and he is speechless at just seeing oh my her. god <laughs> and jerry does come in and they leave for a movie and she touches kramer's hand saying uh you know it was nice meeting you and he when they leave he smells his hand and then lets out a little squeal which is the most noise really he's been able to make <laughs> since he encountered pam he's infatuated it's just yeah just absolutely smitten yeah uh, up at newman's First of all, Wayne Knight is noticeably thinner, I gotta say. I noticed that. Wow. I, I, as soon as he stood up, I was like, whoa, Newman is looking svelte. Yes, yeah. I mean, he's like, it's just night and day compared to really the last time we saw him, which we know was like an eye-opener for him because as he was running through the cornfield or whatever, he had, you know, 
heart problems or something. And the doctor was like, yeah, you, yeah. you can't live like this. And so, but I mean, between over the summer, whatever he did, it worked. Looks great. Uh, and Kramer is confessing. He, he's uh, telling Newman he's in love with Pam. And Newman says that Kramer has found his angel. I love that people kept doing this to Newman. This is the first time he's like, you know, <laughs> uh, he's like, like me. And, and I found my angel and I'll never have her. And Kramer goes, I thought we were talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I want to start doing that to people. Like the second anyone starts telling a personal story. Hey, I thought we were talking about me. <laughs> just just go to somebody like with a problem and like they're, they're yeah. trying to console you by giving them a personal experience of how they've also encountered that type of hardship. You're like, hey, we're talking about me here. I thought we were talking about me. And Newman's advice to Kramer is to confront Jerry about his infatuation with Pam. But Kramer is torn because Jerry's his friend. Out on the street, Elaine is annoyed. Uh, she's there at a newsstand, and Elaine's telling Jerry and George how annoyed she is with people, people telling her she must have a baby. I really appreciate, and again, I have kids, and I really appreciate Elaine's stance on this matter. You know, having a baby like it's some kind of talent, she said. Like, I really... Uh, I really uh, agreed with that. Um, And Jerry doesn't – and here's the weird thing. Jerry doesn't believe that Elaine can resist the life force. As he put it to George earlier, the propagation of the species. He just thinks it's biology that everybody wants to have kids, which is so weird to hear from Jerry because, I mean, he he wants – Of all people. Yeah. He wants kids? I never would have thought that. Or maybe he just thinks having kids is an inevitability, and even if he doesn't want them, he's going to have them. It was a really weird stance for his character to take, I felt like. But some guy overhears Elaine talking, and he totally agrees with her about, you know, you don't have to have kids to have a fulfilling life or whatever. They're sort of hitting it off uh, on that point. Over at the foundation, George puts on a big act about being sad about Susan being gone before starting his tape recorder, putting the briefcase on the ground, and leaving it in the conference room and he waits on the street for about five minutes chewing his nails a call back to the uh, first mm-hmm. taxi cab scene and then he goes back in to retrieve the briefcase over amongst elaine and the guy who we now know is kevin they are still just kind of chatting and getting along and, and talking about how you know you don't have to have kids and stuff like that and they run into kramer who just finished two double fudge sundays and elaine tells Kramer that, oh, Jerry and uh, Pam aren't going to last. He's not Gaga, which gives Kramer, you know, his, his demeanor changes immediately, and he's so happy, uh, and he runs out of monks. What What would you think if someone is trying to tell you that they are a good humanitarian? Because if someone told me that, I would immediately think, okay, this person's most likely a piece of shit. <laughs> I... If, if, the, if that's the one thing that they're trying to, like, save face with, yeah. I'm like, mm, okay, this person's got some skeletons in their closet somewhere. It's a weird word to use, yeah. Oh, I'm I'm definitely a good humanitarian. Yeah, it does, it does sound suspicious. Uh, and, and the way she demonstrates she's a good humanitarian is telling the waitress she's doing a great <laughs> job. <laughs> like she's talking to a fucking kindergartner, yeah. too. You are doing a like, great you... job. You're you're doing a great job. <laughs> yeah, it, it is kind of weird. Up in Jerry's apartment, Superman, by the way, I, I don't know if I saw it earlier, but he's definitely still on the bookshelf and the fridge as we continue through season eight, uh, season eight. George is up there, and the briefcase is all busted, like the 
the hinge is like kind of coming off the back and it's like been you know like like stepped on or something it looks like and they do a bit where he has to rewind the tape which where they're just like kind of staring at each other waiting for the thing to uh, yeah i mean i got what they were doing but i don't know it it didn't work on me yeah i I thought it was um like i got a chuckle out of it yeah um it it was okay it wasn't great this bit was done funnier at the end of season seven with kramer and steven root just staring at each other waiting like yes yeah they shouldn't have gone back to the well for this one like it's the exact same bit like waiting for something staring at each other looking around and then yeah (laughs) wow we're we're two episodes into season eight are they already running out of ideas with larry david gone yeah larry's gone what the hell do we do i don't know what 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 was that last funny thing that he wrote (laughs) what what was the most recent funny thing we did let's do it again (laughs) yeah don't go back any further than the last episodes And you hear two people talking about George's awful fingernails when they start the tape up. And then you hear this exchange. Hey, what are you doing? Dear God. And then a thud. And then the tape stops. So not only was the rewind bit not funny, it also was unnecessary because the tape had only recorded like 30 seconds of audio max. Yeah, I I think the the rewinding bit was longer than the recorded audio. <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, infinitely longer. The rec- Rewinding 30 seconds of audio should have taken five seconds, but that was easily, yeah, like 30-plus seconds of looking around. Maybe less because it, you know, <laughs> it's television time, but it felt like a long time. Uh, Kramer comes in and needs to talk to Jerry, and he pulls George's chair into the hall so he can talk to <laughs> Jerry in private. <laughs> Good physical bit, I thought. Oh. Yeah, on, on both counts. And it gets even better at the end of this episode, uh, at the end of this scene, mm-hmm. I thought. Um, but he wants to talk to Jerry about Pam, and he professes his love and talks about all the things he loves about Pam. And he says she can bring home the bacon and fry it in the pan. And Jerry goes, what does that mean? Which I liked. Because that's exactly <laughs> what I thought. And I was like, what does that mean? I hope Jerry calls him out. Oh, he does. Good, good. That was great, <laughs> great writing right there. Uh, but he, he talks about everything he loves about Pam so much that he talks Jerry into essentially becoming Gaga over her. He does like her now. And as Kramer leaves, he opens the door and George is still sitting in the hallway with his arms crossed, which I thought was hilarious. Like a frustrating ha- arms just, crossed. Yeah, like hasn't moved, just <laughs> sitting there waiting for Kramer to be done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really hilarious. And not like, not pointed out at all. He's just sitting there, which is great. Like they, they you know, <laughs> it just is. They didn't need to say anything about it. Uh, up at Newman's, he won't let Kramer's love go unrequited. Newman, mostly probably because it hurts Jerry, is going to help Kramer try and woo uh, Pam with the flowery language that that Newman used. He's like, Kramer's like, man, if only I could say stuff like that around her. And uh, that kind of gives them both an idea. Over at Monk's, Elaine is analyzing the tape with George. And George won't just ask about the briefcase for some reason. Meanwhile, Jerry uh, announces that he is Gaga for Pam now, and Elaine is Gaga too because she has a common goal with Kevin. And as Jerry put it, oh, a barren, sterile existence that ends when you die. So again, like very <laughs> pro-kid Jerry Seinfeld for some reason. I I really liked Elaine's response to this too. She just lets out a giggle and it's just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was a great response to something very dark. Like, yes, that's it. Oh, it sounds so good when you say it. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Slay. 
it just is so weird that they made Jerry Seinfeld the pro family guy in this. I mean, it just it just is such a weird yeah thing for I, his character. I guess like you you need you need that character, but to make that character Jerry in this story makes no sense. Yeah. Mr. No Commitment, No Responsibilities, No Real Job, Never Had a Real Job, you know, that kind of, like, doing well for himself, sure, but, I mean, his his existence is based on no responsibility and, and never having any, and um, I, I would have even accepted... Yes! I, I think Kramer would have been a good, despite his childless existence, at least we've seen that Kramer was worried when his sperm count was being affected by uh, the underwear he was wearing, and he, and he went to get, like, yeah. a fertility test and stuff like that, um... Or whatever they call. He's still I don't know holding out hope. Yeah, like Kramer was was. I would. I think that it would have been better. And he's going through his own thing right now. But I think they could have probably worked him into this being the pro pro family pro kid guy and made it work better than Jerry. It just sounds weird coming out of Jerry's mouth. Um, and and they don't believe that Kevin doesn't want kids, which is another weird thing to me. Anytime I meet, I don't know. Just, just because with me, it wasn't like a life goal, like. Anytime, I don't know, just a guy who wants kids is weird to me. Like, oh, man, I can't. I'm like, eh, I, don't, I don't know, really? <laughs> I got them. And, uh... <laughs> and that's coming from somebody with kids. Yeah, I got two kids. And, I, like, and, and I'm not saying I never wanted them. But like I said, it wasn't like a, a life goal for me. Um, you know, I was like, yeah, I mean, sure, we could do that. that that's no problem. You know, it's not. <laughs> but I've met guys that were like, oh, I couldn't wait to settle down and have a family and have have like a bunch of kids. I'm like, yeah. wow, I wish, uh, wish I could, <laughs> wish I could. You really... want to, you want to watch my, you want to watch mine for a weekend? <laughs> yeah. Please. <laughs> um, I, I really liked the back and forth George and Jerry had with Elaine of like, men will tell women anything to get with them. Like, George says that he coined the phrase, pardon my French. <laughs> I love that. Uh, Jerry, Jerry says he doesn't eat cake because it goes right to his thighs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, George with the closing one of, I told a woman that I enjoy spending time with my family. Yeah, <laughs> that's the ultimate. I mean, that's the ultimate closer for Elaine's like, oh, wow, men will say anything to you. <laughs> <laughs> Over at Brentano's, which was at 597 Fifth Avenue in Rockefeller Center, it still has the exact same exterior, that like beautiful gold and black uh, kind of entryway, but it is now a Lululemon. It is no longer a Brentano's bookstore. Damn it. Of course it's a fucking Lululemon. <laughs> <I know. laughs> yeah, Do, and does the store still exist? Does Brentano's still exist somewhere? Do you know? Uh, it does not. I did a, a little dive on Brentano's as I was watching, and this was Brentano's flagship store uh, in the world. And they were founded in wow. 1853 in New York City. Um, by 1930, they had 10 stores, and in fact, their 10th store was opened in Pittsburgh. And they sort of positioned themselves as like, as weird as this sounds, because books are, are paper no matter what. It's not like you can get an artisan book somewhere, but they kind of positioned themselves as like a high-end bookstore. Um, so interesting. Yeah. They, they were only in kind of like big cities and throughout the years they were bought and acquired and resold and put in bankruptcy and then out of bankruptcy by 1981, they had 28 stores and eventually borders acquired them. And then they were all closed when borders declared bankruptcy in 2011. Man, I, I can't tell you how many times like a year I just have the thought or like, I'll even audibly say, Man, I miss Borders. <laughs> what did you love about Borders? 
Well, it was um in our local mall we had a Walden Books, yeah, which is a very similar vibe to what I get when I go to Books a Million at the Erie Mall. Mm-hmm. Very, very similar. But anytime like I would go down to uh, the Pittsburgh Mills, I loved going into the Borders location because it was it was huge, it was massive. There was a cafe, there was like like an actual like nook where you could like sit and read what you just purchased or just didn't purchase. Who knows? No one's yeah. gonna judge you. Uh, there, there was like uh, movies and CDs, which I was like mm-hmm. always perusing. I don't know. It was really cool. And I guess. I guess you're really getting kind, to kind what of this, kind of the same vibe as like old Fye before it became like nerd haven. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And I guess that kind of is the difference between a because Walden Books and Borders and Brentanos were all kind of owned by the same company, and they're like, well, we're going to keep all of the different monikers and not make them similar because when you go into a Walden Books, it's just like white page avalanche, like stacks upon stacks, and like. Just everything packed in there in that tiny little room, you know. You go to a Brentano's mm-hmm. maybe or a Borders, it's going to be like, oh, I mean, we have a few books on each subject, but we're not going to like overwhelm you. And we have like some nice <laughs> hardbacks, and there is a cafe in here, and, and it yeah. is a, it is more of a of a of a like a rich person's library environment than a bookstore environment, you know. So that was probably the difference between high end, and we can charge like ten bucks more for every book or something, you know. <laughs> yeah, it it's probably like that same nostalgia that makes me like every once in a while, I'd, I'd say a couple of times a year, I'll just go to Barnes and Noble because now Barnes and Noble is a fucking independent bookseller, the yeah. bookseller that wiped out everybody. Yeah. And I'll just walk around just for like uh, just to look at stuff or maybe for nostalgia purposes, thumb through the records a little bit. Oh, yeah, we do that. It's great, yeah, because they have, A, they, they carry the Criterion Collection, which I love, on, on Blu-ray and DVD, and uh, they have toys so the kids, like, can walk around, and, and they also have, like, a lot of cheap stuff. Man, like, brought to you by Barnes & Noble. Uh, use the code NOHUGGING when you go to Barnes & Noble, by the way, <laughs> bn.com, and uh, you'll get, um, but yeah, we, we like that, too, because it has that, you know, it's like a, a meeting place atmosphere rather than, or a library yeah. atmosphere than an actual bookstore atmosphere. They got the the coffee in there and stuff. So, yeah, that that's probably is uh, the big difference. But uh, New- Kramer is in there meeting Pam, and Newman is feeding lines to Kramer for Pam. And his first line is the very poetic, hi, how are you? I love that he had to start with that for Kramer. <laughs> <laughs> C- couldn't say anything, so he has to even feed him the opening line. Yeah, and, and even, like, the response, like, oh, and she's like, oh, fine, how are you doing? He's like, I'm good, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> And, and then and then Kramer says, do I smell, and it cuts to Newman, and he goes, Pantene! Do I smell Pantene? <laughs> <laughs> and Pam's like, oh, yeah, I just uh, used that shampoo. I got a sample in my junk mail. And then Kramer starts oh going off about God. how this was so funny, because Kramer just starts ranting, I, like, well, you know, there's really no such thing as junk mail. I know everyone wants birthday cards and, and, and checks and stuff like that, but it, it, it costs the same. And then it cuts to Newman, who is delivering this rant from behind the bookcase to Kramer. He's like, it takes just the same amount of effort to deliver junk mail as it does all of your other stuff. I'm like, this was so well done. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was it was hilarious. And and Kramer, like, <laughs> elbows the books, which knocks Newman on his back from the other side of the bookcase to stop ranting about how the, the fact that there's, well, you know, there's really no such thing as junk mail. <laughs> uh, and, and then Newman gets up and he rattles off a very flowery poem that Pam really does like. 
<laughs> it's from an from an unknown 20th century poet. <laughs> yeah, Newman. Oh, what's 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 his name? Newman. God. <laughs> Over at Elaine's, uh, Elaine is saying that she doesn't believe Kevin doesn't really want kids, but Kevin says, I got a vasectomy this morning. And Elaine's like, I I guess you do. I thought this was weird, so I looked it up. Full recovery time for a vasectomy is about eight or nine days. You're, you're likely to experience some pain for at least the next week, maybe more, after a vasectomy. And and uh, one website I saw that's like that said you probably, probably would be able to return to work a day after your procedure. But I think if you get a vasectomy, you're not going to be walking around a few hours later. That's just my guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I I don't think I would be taking that chance at the very yes. least. I'd probably be like, you know, I'm going to take it easy for a day or two. I've heard I, the- I earned this. I've heard guys will schedule vasectomies around March Madness so they can like watch all the basketball games, you know, so they, they have like a legit oh, reason man. to take off work and like watch basketball all day. On, you wow. Know, so, yeah. I didn't even think about that. That's great. <laughs> I have always, no, not always, but, but certainly uh, within the last, how old is Declan? Uh, like almost four. Within the last three years or whatever, I, I, I would love a vasectomy. Oh my gosh. I would, uh, I would. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to. I don't. I don't think it's worth me paying for one at this point. But yeah, I'm. I'm all about it. I would love. I would love to get one. <laughs> I just had to throw how, that how in. How much are they? How I much don't do they know. Cost? I did look it up and and saw. I don't know. I don't even remember now. But I was like, it, it's cheaper than you think. I, I believe. I because it was cheaper than I thought. I was like, wow, that's not bad. I'm thinking like somewhere in the range of like two hundred and fifty bucks. Okay, maybe. Maybe it's, maybe it's not that cheap. I I I just pulled that out of nowhere. Um, yeah. I want to say, but it was... I, I know there's no there's no anesthesia, right? Well, I mean, anesthesia? there's like anesthesia, there's, anesthesia. There's local. I mean, you don't go under, but they certainly <laughs> numb the area. Well, <laughs> that true. They they don't just uh, <laughs> drop drop your trowel and do the snip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be all about it in that case, but I can handle a little, you know, just a little needle there for a second. But I think that from what I read, you know, that's uh, the only discomfort you're going to experience, at least during the procedure, is when they <laughs> deliver the local anesthesia. Oh, okay. While we're while we're on this topic, I have to bring up. Uh, you want to know what I actually just found out this past week? Sure. Uh, and I guess this comes into uh, being male. Um, I thought when women got their tubes tied, I thought they were actually, literally getting their tubes tied, like <laughs> into a knot. Wow. Is that? I mean, the, the, that is not the case. No, as as was explained to me by my wife. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I I guess I. But does it come from an early medical procedure where that's the way they did it before they invented the clamps or whatever that actually they use now? I, I I, I'm just assuming it's clamped or something. I don't know. No, it's a it's a surgical procedure, and actually, because I I thought the I, I thought it was like okay, vasectomy is snip. There's no reversing that it's severed tubes tied they're literally they're literally tied and can be undone uh. if people want to have kids literally the exact opposite is true a vasectomy can be undone getting your tubes tied cannot be undone huh well i didn't know that yeah <laughs> meanwhile everyone listening to this is like these guys are fucking stupid <laughs> yeah yeah well i um 
I didn't know that, but I went, I'm not going to put it down for homework or anything, but I might do some extracurricular uh, looking <laughs> up to see if where that came from or if it is just a just slang, you know, that they came out of the procedure. Or if there used what? to be like what? back in the day, they literally like used to tie the tubes. <laughs> Why don't you look up and see how much a vasectomy is, too? Yeah, I should probably do that. Uh, I, I mean, I went as far as like looking at local doctors who do it and like their price ranges and stuff like that i want to say it was less oh, than a wow. thousand but it was it was like over between like 500 and a thousand i want to say okay. I, okay i could be i could be wrong i could be off about that but um hey, that's that's a tax return yeah that's that's true <laughs> that's a stimulus check cheaper than another kid <laughs> that's for damn sure <laughs> uh so at Brentano's, Jerry comes by to tell Pam that he's very happy with the relationship right now. And she, when she hears that, clears her throat and says, that's a uh, uh, thanks. And Jerry her, hears the clearing of the throat, which George told him earlier means doubt. And when she turns around, she's wearing a velvet scrunchie, which is something that Kramer said. One of the only things he changed about her is take away her banana clip and give her a velvet scrunchie because he loves those. <laughs> 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 up in the apartment jerry runs into newman leaving kramer's apartment who asks him about pam and he notices that newman is holding a brentano's bag and so now they have a cheesy chase through the apartment yeah. building very when i saw this i was like larry would never have let this happen the i, I will say the stairs bit was good because yes. even the music slows down that that made this like not entirely a waste of time, but it was still very, very cheesy. Yeah, lame. I mean, very Scooby Doo running past each other in the hallway, running the same direction. Now Newman's chasing e even, Jerry for some reason. Yeah, even even like they they run into each other at one point and then run the opposite way. I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I was like, Larry would never would have let this slide. He would have gone, "Come on, guys, we're we're better than this. This isn't this is bush league comedy. Come on." In Newman's apartment, Jerry finally caught him. He, uh, you know, he, he's not worried about Kramer, though. And then Newman's like, all right, joke boy. You think Pam is going to, uh, is the same as the, and this was, this was beautiful language. Same as the half-souse nightclub rabble that lap up your inane, and he does the quote fingers, observations. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, Jerry, call the burn ward. I mean, that was pretty oh, good. <laughs> Newman going hard. Oh, God oh, damn. Yeah. Roasted. Just roasted. And he says he'll stop pulling the strings for Kramer, but he wants some info, inside info on Elaine. That's his unrequited angel that he was talking about earlier uh, that he would just <laughs> love to get him to notice. And Jerry's like, well, I know she doesn't want kids. Uh, I, I want to point out before we move away from this scene, like as Newman is saying, like, he wants some help with Elaine. Jerry's like, why Elaine? Newman doesn't really say anything here. But then as Jerry's realizing that that's Newman's unrequited love, Jerry's, oh no, is perfect. Uh, yeah. Because it's like, it's disgust, but also like, I don't know, like fear of, fear of like getting into a deal with Newman. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Or even like you know. Also, he's got to sell out his friend too. He's got to like yeah, tell, that too. It, it's a perfect encapsulation of so many things. Yeah, yeah. It was a good read, a good line read. <laughs> oh no! 
Uh, over at Elaine's, Elaine is not 100%, she's telling Kevin, not 100% on not having kids. And uh, Elaine's like, you know, and Kevin's like, man, I always rush into stuff like this. And Elaine's like, yeah, me too. You know, I, and she references her straight hair. She was like, just a, just a, recently, I straightened all my hair and I had these little strands yeah. hanging out of my face. Uh, good, um, good dialogue between them here with uh, Elaine saying, I, I don't know if I want kids. Nothing's 100%. And Kevin just says, this is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which apparently it's not. I know. I know. And, of course, there's a great office bit about that, too. The snip, snap, snip, snap, snip, snap. Because Michael had a vasectomy, then a reversal, then another vasectomy. Jesus Christ. <laughs> During the, I think that's the dinner party episode. That, that episode's just full of classics. They both kind of talk each other into their... I liked this back and forth, too, because it's like, oh, maybe I should do this. Yeah, maybe I should do this. Yeah, you should. Yeah! Like, they're both talking each other. Like, Elaine's <laughs> talking about her short hair. Like, I probably should just... You know, cut my, I just want to chop it all off. And he's like, yeah, maybe I want a lot of kids. Yeah. Just like rebonding over their rash indecisiveness. Yeah, yeah. Just like talking each other into their impulses, like in the moment <laughs> and going through them no thought whatsoever. Uh, over in Jerry's apartment, George has built a 116th scale model out of a Nike shoebox of the conference room just in order to demonstrate that. And he picks himself as the Power Ranger and... <laughs> Jerry's like, wait, that's you? I think the M&M is you. And he picks up the yellow M&M. And it's like... <laughs> uh, and, and he only built this 116th scale model to uh, basically illustrate what they already knew, which was nothing. That whatever damage happened to the, the, the briefcase happened in that room. And that's what we know. Uh, George is very paranoid. And, and uh, he sort of works himself into this conspiracy theory saying you know he's like well you want me to tell you what's going on i believe i am the target of a and jerry's like yeah you know what i don't want to know <laughs> i changed my mind <laughs> pam comes in and she uh, as george is leaving she confesses that she does have a crush on kramer who slides in through the door on his knees which i saw that move and i was like <sighs> how did he do that yeah i i'm confused because you can't open the door and like also slide the door has to be open already but also he doesn't crash into the door no he opens it and he is somehow moving already the on the ground yeah on his sliding on his knees it was just brilliant it was a magic trick <laughs> <laughs> but then kramer's like oh come on do you think pam would really want you jerry to be the father of her children and she's like whoa what i don't want children who said anything about children yeah uh, over at the foundation, George is finally confronting the board, playing the tape of what happened and monologuing about the betrayal that he's experiencing. And then Wick explains <laughs> that uh, someone was moving a chair, they lost their balance and dropped it. And George... Uh, must, must have dropped on your briefcase. <laughs> yeah, which for some reason contained a running tape recorder. <laughs> and, and then in, in that moment, like, George is just, oh, oh okay. Yeah. We, <laughs> Does, uh, doesn't try anything else. Got to the bottom of that. <laughs> yeah. Completely humbled. Maybe humiliated even, but definitely humbled. Uh, we cut to Bernard Wendroff, MD, urologist, and Jerry and Newman are in the waiting room. When Elaine and Kevin come in, Elaine has chopped all her hair off. I think it looks fantastic. I've always been a fan of short hair. I think she looked yeah, great. Yeah, I, I think it looks a lot better than it could have looked. Yeah. 
yeah, I mean, she's got it going on anyway, but um, yeah, the short hair uh, definitely works. Uh, Newman says he is getting a vasectomy for Elaine. Kevin is having his vasectomy reversed, they say, as Kramer hobbles out of, uh, I guess, where he just had the procedure done, which causes Jerry and Newman to throw down their reading materials and run out of the uh, waiting room. And that's pretty much the end of the episode. We do get one last little bit at the foundation where George is reading a poem that obviously Newman wrote because it's the basically the same words that Kramer said to Pam a little bit earlier. Uh, something about waiting for the other shoe to drop or something like that. Wick asks if it's a Keats poem, and George says it's a Newman as he picks up his briefcase <laughs> and, and walks out of the room. And it's at that point that Wick says, hey, does anyone else think... George murdered Susan, or is it just... Uh, actually, he doesn't say that. He's like, does anyone else think George murdered Susan? And one guy goes, oh, yeah, I just assumed. And the woman goes, of course he did. And then Wick's like, okay, so it's not just me. <laughs> and that's it. Uh, we, uh, we get another splash screen in between the ending of the episode proper and this post credit scene of another in memory of our friend, Victor Wayne Harris. Did How you see this one? these. No. I don't know. This is the second episode in a row. Every episode in season eight so far has been in memory of a lost friend. Yeah. I, um, yeah, the first one was Marjorie Gross, who was a writer. What was this guy's name? Victor? Victor Wayne Harris. Victor Wayne Harris. Uh, yeah, he was a assistant property master. So a prop master on Seinfeld. Uh, he had a stroke and died in 1996. Oh, my God. So they're all dying this year. Yeah. Does it say when in 96? Because we learned that um, uh, the woman whose uh, last episode was in memory of died in the season break, in the summer. Yeah, Victor as well in August of 96. Oh, my God. This is yeah. awful. I know. How many more people, how many more people are going to die in this uh, between season seven and season eight break? I don't know, but it does kind of make you think that, you know, our, our podcast seems to have the same kind of curse. Maybe just the show overall is cursed. Maybe. The Seinfeld <laughs> curse? Yeah, maybe it's not the no hugging, no learning curse. Maybe it's just Seinfeld overall causes death and destruction <laughs> and military oh, coups. Uh, okay, what do we got for homework this week? Um, I didn't write anything down. We pretty much did it all kind of during... You know, the Brentanos oh. and, and stuff like that. and Okay. Barney Greengrass. Yeah, we kind of did it all in advance, which I guess is just kind like of against a, the just, uh, ethos. Yeah. I mean, uh, we've got some vasectomy stuff to look at. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's really, really about it. Um, okay. What do you like for cover art this week? Hmm. Well, it's about the... Fa- it says it says the soulmate. We got some at the foundation. Man, I don't know. What, what did you write down? Um, I liked the scene after... Uh, Jerry Newman's chase where Jerry has Newman pinned up against the wall and Newman is just like sweating like a stuck pig. <laughs> yeah. Um, I liked uh, George looking through the window of his model of the conference room. Oh, yeah. The model of the conference room. That's pretty funny. And that's that's all I wrote. Yeah. Both of those are good. I think I like the conference room okay. uh, most of all. Okay. That's a funny, funny visual. All right. Let's see. Let's see if we can make uh a better description out of what we got so we had george suspects the foundation attorney believes he murdered susan it does happen but i feel like even the episode is called the soulmate and so it's kind of about 
Elaine and having kids and Jerry and Kramer more so than George's thing. They're all kind of equal. I don't know what I would do here. I don't mind this. If we if we keep the name of the episode as the soulmate, I don't mind this. Yeah. Yeah, because it even does play into George's thing because that That's kind true. of is how it, it starts with Wick saying essentially that, you know, she was your soulmate up until her accident. Um, her <clears throat> accident. Um, accident. Um, the uh, I feel like this is another one that I could start with. The gang. <laughs> oh, God. The gang... <laughs> I don't know. It, it's too complicated. I guess we're just gonna we're just gonna have to keep right. it just because. Yeah, I can't. I can't waste any time thinking about thinking about it. Although, I mean, I, hey, no I, problem. I think no we could do better. One. I I might do some uh some outside work on that because it requires a little bit more thought. Every so often, I feel like I've done that where I go, all right. I think I can. I just need more time. I need a week, Ted. I need a week <laughs> to think about this. <laughs> Oh, my God. Okay. Well, uh, next week, we have got Season 8, Episode 3, The Bizarro Jerry, original air date October 3rd, 1996. And if you're looking at TV Guide that night, you are going to see Elaine meets three friends who are the exact opposite of Jerry, George, and Kramer. Semicolon, George uses Susan's death to attract women. Oh, man. I feel like it gives away way too much, but I... Love this episode. I mean, this is a classic Seinfeld episode. I wonder if it will hold up as they most of the time mm. do, but I'm I'm very excited about it. Yeah, this is one that that is is up there in the pantheon. I think so, and it's a very well. Uh, the, if you know anything about Superman, you know that the it, it it's going to be kind of a Superman heavy episode as we've had too. So I'm excited to see if this one holds up next week. And is that it? I think that's it. All right, for no hugging, no learning. I'm Tim Murphy. I'm Ted Hollowell. Be good. 